There are different ways we learn how to read. At first, when we're little, we learn to recognize letters, put them together into words, put those together, those words together into sentences, and then if our education goes far enough and we're lucky enough, we learn to make paragraphs. Right? But there's a second kind of learning to read that doesn't happen for everyone. It's actually quite rare. It's learning how to really interact with a piece of good writing. It means, do I, what parts of my spirit, what parts of my mind, what emotions do I apply to the reading of this piece? And any of us who have experienced reading like that can usually point back to a certain person who woke us up to that kind of reading. Yeah. It takes a community to do that, and we're trying to foster that kind of community. Now, we normally talk about books with interesting Atlantans, but today, for a very special reason, we're breaking our own rule. We have Tim Rhodes has booked a very special <laughs> guest, and I'm going to let him introduce her, and then we're going to talk about what we're reading. We're going to get a glimpse of what little Timmy Rhodes' life was like, mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to talk <laughs> about uh, where we've all uh, come since, since those years. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to to introduce our guest today. You know, normally at the beginning of the podcast, we introduce ourselves, and I always go into this thing about how, like, I'm a producer here in Atlanta. I kind of give a couple of things that I do. But uh, if I were ever included in that list, an avid reader, um, the only reason I could even say that would be because of Willeen Kiel, Kiel, our guest today, my uh, <laughs> English middle school teacher, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. And I am so excited that this is happening yeah. Uh, thank you so much for being um, here. <laughs> you have made all 39 years uh, with middle schoolers worth it, you know? I, and I feel even awkward calling you Willene. Like, I feel uh. weird calling you by your first name. Like, it's so strange. But it's amazing because you're probably one of the few teachers that I've actually kept up with over Facebook or, like, just having some sort of – I mean, there are some, but um, I feel like it's been so encouraging to, to kind of keep – even though it's just pretty much been through Facebook and updates and links. But Oh, and, and I've so that. enjoyed – Learning about you, and and, <laughs> and and there are I am friends on Facebook with other students, and mm-hmm. to see yeah. uh, somebody posted something the other day about teaching and how um, when you are a teacher, and it was so much more profound than I can restate. But a part of that of you becomes a part of that person, but right. also a part of that student stays with you, and oh, you wow. care for them. Yeah. You know, I, I was in the classroom thirty nine years, so. I'll think about, well, I taught so-and-so. Oh, yes, they have children and grandchildren now, but I remember Mm -hmm. them, and they are always a part of me, and I care for them. Uh, I cared for... I really care for my students, so yeah. and 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 I enjoyed I enjoyed all my yeah. years, and I really yeah. missed you, middle schoolers, oh. you know. But yeah, <laughs> it, it it it's you know it's it's um it's a two way street yeah. kind of thing. I, I I can say like without hesitation, it was so apparent and obvious how much you cared for the students, and it was yeah. a it was really special. I mean, it was a very I mean, we just knew, and I feel like that. I mean, even you didn't even have to say like I care about you. We as kids, you just know when mm-hmm. somebody does. And the impact that it has on you is significant. It, it's never left me. And um, wow, it's it was a uh, those were definitely the formidable years as far as not just reading but just um, growth, friendships. I mean, yeah, I um, I don't know. It was a it was a wonderful wonderful period of my life. Do you mind if I ask what you read during that time? I'd be interested. You know, um, uh, we were talking a little bit about a few books right before this podcast, but um, definitely some highlights were you know. And I might let you even go a little bit more into why and what what we read and your purpose behind it. But there are a few standouts. Definitely like The Giver. I remember mm-hmm. it was a big deal. Oh, yes. Um, 
we I'm trying to remember what we read surrounding, but you we even did did a lot with um regarding like we would go to the um the Holocaust Museum here yes. in Atlanta and I'm trying to remember what we read. Did we read the diary of Anne Frank? I don't remember if we did. It was something. Uh, we else. read I always Sorry. had I always had a lot of different choices mm-hmm. and we did lit yeah. circles a lot. Mm-hmm. So you would divide into small groups by mm-hmm. choice and do activities. So okay. really I you know, sometimes I don't remember what I might have done during what time mm-hmm. period, and some of that yeah. might have changed as I, you know, progressed no or no, whatever. I, yeah, I can't remember exactly either, but I know there was a lot of significant um, writings we read about um, World War II, mm-hmm. but I think it was specifically the the Holocaust and specifically what happened, the the war crimes, and um, which was really powerful and really stuck with me. Um, would you be okay? Like, I don't, not to put you on the spot. Can you share some other books you maybe? Maybe not even just in our middle school, but like in your time as a teacher that you um, wanted to share and felt necessary to share. Well, I want to say a little bit about me. I grew oh, up in the backwoods, you know, Appalachia, and, and um, <laughs> books were never in my home. So mm-hmm. I'm not real sure how I ended up wanting to read. I think quite possibly is escape, but I've, I've always loved reading, mm-hmm. and it's been very, very important to me. And somewhere along the way, as I was a beginning teacher, um, it was very obvious and teaching in a rural area that this was a way to introduce or to show my kids mm-hmm. the world outside, yeah. outside where they were and to broaden their uh, horizons and, uh, and to enrich their lives. Yeah. So when I would do things purposefully in class, it would be with those kinds of things in mind. Yeah. Uh, frequently, my eighth graders would read night Mm, and we would yeah. read give the giver, the giver yeah. and I'm isn't that profound for today mm-hmm. and, oh, yeah. and then you know in the last few years of my teaching the kids were all over hunger games mm-hmm. and when I see everything that's happening politically here and all over the world I'm like I hope they remember some of those lessons yeah. and mm-hmm. then um when I would teach seventh grade, I would always have my kids read books in small groups about different kids in different parts of the world, like um, um, Esperanza, Rising Esperanza, Rising Hope, and um, was about a girl from Mexico. And but I would all and I had them read numerous books that were set in Africa and, and all over the world, so that they would know. And and I, my prayer is that they will remember. Yeah. Today, there there might be something that they read that maybe will spur them or yeah. if they're asleep to wake them up. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. I'm just very glad when I look back that I had those kind of experiences for them. Yeah. So May I real quick, before we go further, I want to kind of set the scene of your classroom because I feel like a lot of people maybe now when you're talking about classroom and students, they might have a picture in their minds that is incorrect. I feel like they will. <laughs> um, I feel like when you think of a classroom and any other classroom I was in, you think of individual desks facing forward at the teacher who was behind, you know, in front of a blackboard or in the dry erase board. Um, and, you know, all the kids were their own autonomous. We're told not to talk with others, to be quiet, to sit still, to um, just be, be you're on your own. You cannot deal, like even interact with others. Um, and so in sixth grade, first day of sixth grade at little Timmy Rhodes with his little backpack, nervously going to each class. That's what I had been accustomed, even that, that day, you know, going to whether it was math class or science, that's what we were used to. And so I remember, I mean, I can't believe I ever even remember this, but it's so vivid to me. Like I remember just walking up, turning the corner and I walk into this classroom and it's just tables with chairs yes. and 
you just I don't, I can't remember, I don't think it was assigned seats I don't think probably not I don't think so no <laughs> and you just and it was just hey sit sit somewhere and um and I rem and it just had this profound impact on me that there wasn't in other classes like the teacher almost spends most of the time in the beginning going over like the rules right. And, almost like preemptively chastising the kids for what they're going to do. Like, don't talk, you know, like, I just remember, I mean, I loved, and not that any of the teachers were bad and they're all great teachers, but I feel like there was almost a setup of like, you're a kid, we know what, I, I expect this of you. I expect you're going to do this. And I think with you, it was almost like there were less, um, like the formality wasn't there, like the right. rules weren't there. Right. Even, I remember even little things, like even during tests, like it, we weren't so concerned about talking with that, like, we could still kind of somewhat chat a little bit like the classroom. It was such a different starting and, and the rules. And so it's funny when I think about it, like I imagine like as a kid, a kid would think, ooh, rules, I can get away with whatever I want. But I feel like the way you set it up was it was like less rules. Wow. The teacher trusts us more. Like It, it yeah. was a different feeling than, ooh, I can just get away with this. It was, oh, wow, I'm I'm being trusted <laughs> with with this educate with learning. And it was a very profound experience. And I, I mean, I still remember, and Ian was, when he, his introduction was so impactful because he talked about learning and reading and community. And I felt like you created a community in your classroom. And several of my friends to this day started in your class. Like to this day, middle school, this was like, I mean, 20 years ago, at least. I still, I'm, I'm hanging out with a friend today wow. that uh, we became yeah. best friends from that class. I mean, it, <laughs> it was, uh, it was just a, a, a wonderful experience. And it's funny what I what I remember like the specific things, but they were all very impactful. And just the way you trusted us was it meant a great deal. Oh wow, yeah. that's profound for me uh, because I didn't go in. I don't think that was my mindset. <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, maybe, I just yeah, I don't know. But. I just wanted. Um, well, I'm not in a sit in a row kind of person mm -hmm. either. So, but I just <laughs> wanted kids to um, be able to work together. You know yeah. how important that is in real oh, life. Oh yeah. yeah, and. That love of learning and love to read, I wanted to impart that. The I don't know if you remember, the classroom was full of books. Yeah. I mean, we have oh, books yeah, yeah. overflowing everywhere. Uh. <laughs> when I retired, I gave yeah. away hundreds and hundreds and hundreds oh, of wow. books. Teachers buy a lot of stuff, and I didn't realize how much. But anyway, just that having all that there available was very important. Mm. And I, I just wanted my students to think. Yeah. I just wanted them to think. Mm -hmm. And it's harder now. People tell me I'm, I've been out four years, but because of the stress on on testing. But yeah. you still, you know, you got parameters, but mm -hmm. my parameters never boxed me in. I yeah. could always find a way to, <laughs> to push them out. Yeah. yeah, You know, I could work within them a bit, but I could do my, not necessarily my own thing. I, I could do what I knew was right, yeah. mm -hmm. which was to encourage you to read and to write and mm -hmm. to think and to question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And... Uh, clarify that yeah so wow, wow. and i remember sixth your, grade huh yeah, and, it, and it's funny your classroom would also become like a haven so like whenever oh, there yes. are any sort of breaks or like any times where we could yeah. do whatever we wanted we would just come to your class and just hang out and i mean it was just such uh -huh. a it was like almost a safe space yeah. where uh, we just we wanted to come there we wanted mm. to be there and i can't recall that about almost any i mean class was not like that <laughs> you know i mean it's school you know kids don't like school but it was just a, it was a special time it was a really, yeah. yeah so you started there mm -hmm. Several years have passed. Let's talk about what we're reading yeah, now. Sure. And maybe if we can, if y'all can, like talk about how you got from what you yeah. were reading then to what you're reading now. Yeah. What's changed? Um, let's start with our guest. What are you reading well, now? Well, what am I reading now? I have a close friend that I did teach with um, more recently, and she's written her first novel. 
she's she's not teaching any longer. She's a mama with four kids. <laughs> and um, so I'm reading her book for about the fifth time to help with wow. proofreading it. Mm-hmm. And it's called Still Waters, and her name is Lindsay Brackett. I'll give mm-hmm. her a, a plug. And it's yeah. a good book, especially to be a first novel set in Edisto. And um, it's a little bit of a girly book, but it's more about forgiving oneself and mm-hmm. redemption uh, and I'm very, very proud of her, and I'm going to help her wow. with her book launch up in our neck of the woods in northeast Georgia. So that's what I'm and, – and I've really um, – when I was a teacher, I read what my students were reading. Wow. And if they were reading it, I was reading it. Uh, you could have walked to my classroom and say, I really don't like to read, but if I could find a book about hunting – <laughs> and in my neck of the book, would you want a hunting or car racing or something? But anyway, I could help you find that book. So that was, uh, and I still can do that by gollies. I was looking at the shelves out there and I thought, oh, I see this book and this book. So I love to do that because if students would come to me and say, I don't like to read, then I was able, I said, you just haven't found the right book yet. Yeah. So, but anyway, once I quit teaching, it was kind of like, okay, I'm off the hook. <laughs> so I started started reading, and and when I will read some serious books, and then I will read some just easy mystery series or something like that. I yeah. do like the mystery writer Louise Penny, and her new one's going to be out fairly soon, and I'm gonna, and I will have that one. Okay. But and I read a lot of blogs. Mm-hmm. I find myself reading a lot of blogs too. So. Huh. What are ones that grab your attention or speak Ooh. to what you care oh, about? Okay. Well, I'm becoming a little bit of a radical in my old age, so. <laughs> hey, good. You're in a good place. <laughs> Anne Lamont. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she speaks to me. Uh, Jen Hatmaker. Yeah. yeah, okay. Rachel Held Evans. Mm-hmm. And also uh, Glenn and Melton Doyle. And those are ladies that are uh, honest um, very spiritual ladies, but are so very honest. And I think probably every one of them has been kind of kicked out by the by organized church. Yeah, by the establishment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I love them, and I would, and, and I keep, you know, sometimes some of them will be near enough to me to go here, and and I, something that seems to be in the way. But I really would love to go hear some of them speak. Uh-huh. But uh, I find myself reading that now. But uh-huh. just. I, and as I started making a list of my favorite books, though, if you don't mind if I talk about oh, that, just please, yeah. I found that I, I ended up reading more Southern books than I thought. But uh, Rick Bragg, mm-hmm. It's yeah. All Over About the Shouting, is an yeah. autobiography. And then uh, The Glass House by Jeanette Walls okay. uh, is an amazing book. She's not Southern, though. Janice Ray, <laughs> she's a Southern Sorry. author. She's from South Georgia. She's great. Oh. And then uh, I told y'all about the Liberal Redneck Manifesto. It's quite entertaining. Yeah, we're interested in reading it. But mm-hmm. um, and and then I, since I have grandchildren, I find myself also reading Mr. Brown Can Moo. Can you? And then <laughs> one of the greats. Yeah, I read that to my sons all the time. And then I also have middle school grandchildren, so I'm beginning to guide them a little bit mm-hmm. and and um, some choices for them. And then I have a grandson who's like uh tim who would read anything he can read he'll read anything get his hands on so i can't keep up with him but (laughs) so but anyway i just read and talk about books and recommend books and is there a reason why southern literature like you're placed here but you also read a lot of it is there something that draws you to it a familiarity or the language 
No, because I read other things too. You know, uh, like all the light we cannot see. And then, the, did y'all read that one about World no. War Two? Oh my! I've, I read. I've heard great things. Yeah, so I've I've wanted to for a while. I read the opening passage, and the the writing oh was just goodness. electrifying. Yes, yeah. Yes. So I'd I'd like to read it, but I haven't gotten to it actually. I think last year I'm better about this this year, but last year I didn't read anything that was published that year. I think because yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to. There's a lot of ground to cover. Yeah, oh, well, and, and you see, on. I'm like, okay. I had a student one time give me um, The Count of Monte Cristo, and that book oh, is wow. still sitting there waiting on me. He's like, <laughs> yeah. he's yeah. like, Miss Kill, you need to read this. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's think, waiting on me, too. I think we all have those like big books on our shelves that are just staring us yeah. down. And every yeah. time we're like, should I start that one? No, I've got this one that's 300 yep. pages over here. <laughs> you know, mine is Les Mis. I've had that for a long time. And yeah. like Eddie, like a friend of mine, you know, in our class in middle school, Eddie Bevan, like it's on so many of my friends' favorite. Like if they had a best of list, it's in the top five. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I need you, to read this. I need to. <laughs> you guys have full time jobs and children and responsibilities. What's my excuse? I don't know. <laughs> you asked me about Southern. I don't think it's familiarity. And that's where I was headed with that. Yeah. No, I really like reading something that's going to, you know, that's outside my comfort zone. I was just talking to Tim about how much I love to come to Buford Highway and eat. It's outside oh, my it's comfort the best. zone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think, though, maybe it's a way to say there's some validity. And yeah. me and my life and the way that I grew up. Yeah. Uh, you know, Hillbilly Elegy sitting on my shelf to read. Uh, yeah. Bastard yeah. Out of yeah. North Carolina sitting on my shelf to read. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, just to say, and, and, and to say, I know exactly what you're talking about. You yeah. know, I understand yeah. that. I get that. And Southern literature is one of the, I think one of the few that still is very iconic maybe or, mm -hmm. or very unique at times. Yeah. So that makes it interesting, too. So. Yeah. I would say the most, the Southern author, um, Carson McCullers, mm -hmm. I've read um, yes. a good bit of. And I'm, I'm over the, there's so much of it. But I read a lot of Wendell Berry also. Mm -hmm. And he has that kind of common sense, yeah. like, hey, in rural farming communities, there's a lot worth looking at. Whereas someone like me, who's been an urban city dweller my whole life, would just usually drive through. Now I'm like, I yeah. wonder what it's like farming in this town. I wonder what it's like living. I wonder what the barber shop is like. Mm -hmm. All those things yeah. have, have sort of come to light to me um, through reading Wendell Berry's work. But he's yeah. been, been a big one for me. So in terms of in terms of validity, like we live in a city, right? Most of our listeners were probably urban uh, mm -hmm. people in Atlanta because that's just the focus of the podcast. Um, but we've gotten we've gotten an impression from living in the city during the recent election that rural America thinks one way mm. and it, it looks homogenous from a wide shot or from the news, you know, yeah. but that rural America thinks one way and they're opposed to the things that we here in the city think and care about. I know that's not true, but it's easy to get that impression. And has that, like, how has that landed for you being someone who comes from a rural background and lives in a mm. somewhat rural community? Mm -hmm. I've had to bite my tongue an awful lot. <laughs> yeah, but, we'll let it all out here. <laughs> well, Tim and I were talking earlier. Um, I, I just, my heart aches yeah. with everything that's mm -hmm. going on in Charlottesville today. Yeah. I just have read yeah. some, you know, I'm staying up with the news probably too much. Yeah. But <clears throat> I live in the Ninth District, which is, what, 85% Republican. Yeah. But I'm not. And that was a journey, too, yeah. uh, a journey of conscience, probably. 
But right after the election, a neighbor, I'd already read about this indivisible, indivisible guide. So okay. that happened pretty immediately after the election. Okay. And groups were forming all over the country. But this was just a few days, just a few yeah. days. And my neighbor stopped and said, um, Lene, I've there's this group meeting over nearby, and I think that I think you might be interested. So I got a phone number and I went. And at that initial meeting, there were 75 of us, and we're talking in Northeast Georgia, yeah, and in the mountains, Northeast Georgia. <laughs> and I went, and it was so affirming, yeah. you know, that we were there mm-hmm. for a purpose, and part of it was mourning. Yeah. And the group has grown. We're called uh-huh. uh, North Georgia Headwaters Indivisible. Uh-huh. And I'm part uh-huh. of the um, kind of like the core group. There are about seven of us. But um, uh-huh. there are probably 200, 250 of us in two wow. rural counties. Okay. So uh, we support each other. We, we research. We come up with an email each week, say, here are the phone calls you can make this week. Wow. Yeah. Here's what you need. Yeah. And we've got a Facebook page, and this is, this is what you need to keep aware of. Mm-hmm. And my, what I'm trying to come to grips with me personally is finding some kind of common ground. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. uh, something I read the other day was, and it might have, do you read News and Guts by Dan Rather? Um, I, I've been paying attention a lot to Dan Rather recently, but not news and guts. I okay. need to get on that. But any, maybe that was it or maybe something else. And it was like, just think, when you get up every morning, what are you concerned about? Yeah. That you're healthy, that your family's healthy, that you all have food and are, are, are cared for and well. And that's universal. So I need to approach people and, and with, I need to love my neighbor, mm-hmm. even irregardless yeah. And yeah. it's easy to love your neighbor who's like you. Yeah. But so I just, that's what I'm feeling right now is I need to do is to try to work to find some kind of common ground. Yeah. Um, because there is common ground. We do, we are concerned about making sure we're well. Um, there's so much misinformation. Yeah. Um, so it was, I, I travel a good bit. My husband travels for work, and then I have a daughter in England. But it was kind of nice to be in Washington State recently, and there were no political signs up. <laughs> so yeah. uh, that was interesting. <laughs> My husband tells me I belong there, but something. Anyway, um, but, you know, we. this is a rough time. This yeah. is a rough time. Yeah. And... Um, my heart is heavy, yeah. uh, so. But one thing that I do in my community is I've begun to volunteer, wow. volunteer in an elementary school, volunteer at a homeless mission, mm-hmm. do a lot with my church. Yeah. Um, I, I'm working with a little boy who was in the homeless mission and, and helping him with school supplies, and then we'll do some mentoring, and uh, you know, just being a little a little pebble that's trying to impact for good. And I think we can all do that in all kind of different ways. Yeah. Was there any, in that sort of move, it seems like there was sort of like an expansion that happened for you in that sort of transition or journey you went on. Was there any reading that helped steer you along the way? Um... I, nothing in particular. I think I always was a bit, and Tim might tell you that from the way I ran my classroom and stuff, I was a little more open-minded uh-huh. mm-hmm. and thinking um, than most 
Um, and I think a lot of that, though, because of the way that I grew up, a lot of that came from reading. But mm-hmm. I can't tell you anything in particular. Yeah, that's Possibly, yeah. But as I said, now I kind of choose some of those things that stretch me and yeah. make me, well, quite frankly, they make me question some of my foundational beliefs at times. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm 65. Golly, <laughs> I'm not sure how that happened. I go to, I go yeah. to Silver Sneakers and listen to... <laughs> I exercised to songs with all of those old ladies that I listened to when I was in college. So there's something strange about that. But um, it's just been transformational, I think. And part of it is my uh, a spiritual journey, too. Yeah. You know, where yeah. do I stand with that? And my goodness, if I do believe and love my neighbor, then who? If I take that one yeah. seriously, that covers a lot of ground, you know. So. And one thing I really, in coming up with like ser- doing service, I, I'm reminded of, I think uh, something you would instill in like each class, each grade. Granted that the one I'm thinking of is not like directly like services and helping like someone directly in need. But I remember in seventh grade, I, um, you start, we, you, you, you didn't even like tell us we were going to do this, but kind of presented this idea of um, a historical society. I think right. it was it Stevens right. County Historical right. Society. Um, finding, uh, I think, I can't remember documents, how many hundreds and hundreds of documents in a basement that were deteriorating. I mean, hundreds of years mm-hmm. old. Like these documents were like from the beginning of this county. Um, just very uh, letters, all sorts of things. Very um, interesting artifacts from uh, just our past that we really did not want to see go away. Like it'd be so great to keep this and to um, to preserve it somehow. And so. We started in seventh right. grade a group called the Preservers, right. <laughs> and um, we um, we through the society they would show us little seventh graders how to preserve right. these documents properly. And as a class, we we took charge and like went and met this need because they just there was just so much being lost that they, and, they didn't and have the manpower. And you guys learned how to transcribe that. And some of these, ba- yeah. the oldest were mid seventeen hundreds. That was quite an interesting experience for a teacher too. It, and, so. and as a student, too, giving us that sort of, um, not authority, but like that sort of, um, ah, what's the, what's assertiveness and this desire to, to contribute something. Like as seventh graders, I mean, you're always kind of taught, hey, you're the, you're the leaders of tomorrow, or you're the, you're the, you're, you know, you're, it's almost like you're going to be doing something important later. You know, like, yeah. I just remember as a kid, that's what we're kind of always told and. um and it almost gave us this sort of like, no, you're you empowerment. Can, yeah, it's empowering. That's the word. <laughs> you kind of empowered us to say, hey, no, you can do something now. And yeah. um, I just remember, I mean, and I feel like the class, we were so in this, like we were just so excited to do this. And um, we just felt it just made us feel really special. Like we were doing something. We all are a great group. That's for sure. It, I mean, and it was it was a blast. I mean, it just was a blast. And we felt like we were. We, I mean, it was funny. I, <laughs> we, we made a web. I mean, granted, this was like, you know, 90. Yeah. Oh gosh, what like ninety six, ninety seven, right? So like yep. websites were new, but we were making a website right. about it and like de- like detailing how to do it, like showing other people how to do it, mm-hmm. and um, it was such a wonderful experience and a way of kind of empowering us, like to serve, to do serve we somehow. Were our cutting edge with technology at that time, <laughs> but uh, it was a great time and it was such a, a wonderful example. And other grades did different things, but sort yeah. of instilling some idea of service and giving back and. Um, helping the community. Um, it was just, I mean, all these things that just really sticks with us. And I, 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 I can't say, I mean, I, I can say for certain that I know other people probably remember this and it had to have affected their, um, 
their lives going forward. Good deal. That was a Good deal. Really, oh man, I'm like a, I sound like I'm like gushing on this one. Like, ah. <laughs> no, but it it really, I mean, yeah. I'm sure this has got to be what every teacher wants but, to I mean, hear. I mean, I, 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 this is pretty exciting. You know? It makes me want to go back in the classroom. <laughs> yeah. If I didn't have to grade papers and make lesson plans, I yeah. would in a heartbeat. Well, I want to I wanna talk about a book I read that I think is relevant to what we're talking about here. I just re- recently finished this book called Thus Bad Begins by Javier Marias. And... Um, it was it's set in 1980s Spain, like post-Franco dictatorship. And um, during the, the backstory of this book, there were a bunch of political crimes that happened under Franco's watch. And they were deeply personal, right? They harmed people, but they came from this political moment. And then when Franco's rule ended, sort of society made an agreement to build a wall between them and those things that had happened in the past and the crimes that had been committed in order to be able to live with who they were as a nation moving forward. And in this book, there's a contrast set up between a personal relationship. The, the narrator is the assistant to a film director. And so this film director has two different relationships. One is with his wife, who has committed a personal offense, which is not that grave, but it's personal. And then his the other relationship, he has this friend who committed these like kind of horrendous political crimes in this time that's now walled off. And the book is an exploration of, about that like dark tension between between things that happen personally and immediately between us and people and things that happen due to political movements or forces in which we participate. Mm-hmm. This is the first time in my life I've ever felt that tension. You know, I come from a a place where people are generally Republican, generally conservative. I've always been an advocate of like, let's have respectful dialogue. You can believe and vote the way you feel convicted and I'll do so. We need to talk to each other and love each other. And then it seems like all of a sudden the tide has turned where I'm having to really dig deep to forgive people because their votes and their political views, which used to be this sort of uh, separate thing, now is resulting in families that I work with on the street being torn apart. Dads being caught by ice on their way to work and taken away from their children. And all of a sudden, these children that I care for and mentor for years are fatherless or kids who have the right to citizenship now um, or had at least the right to work and drive legally here. Now that's under threat. And then there's an overtone of like oppression coming down. Yes. And we're feeling all these things. And it used to be, I don't know if it was privilege, kept me saying, oh, it's okay. You know, you can have these different opinions. But it's getting much harder. And um, how responsible are we for corporate political things that happen in our name and how to live with that? And I'm sure that tension is escalated. Um for all of us, anyone who's engaged, but sort of, I know I've seen in your face when you talked about it in the pre-interview, like that you sort of live in that tension and you've mentioned it a couple times. How do you, how do you, as someone who's been down this road ahead of us a little bit, how do you cope with that tension? Where do you go to calm down? How do you lovingly relate with people who may be responsible for some political harm 
I know it's a tough question. They are hard questions. I I have learned not to, you know, if I go out socially or anything or many, many places, you just don't talk politics because it's that will and religion sometimes, but it becomes uh, polarizing. Yeah. And I'd rather try to work with with some kind of common ground. Now, I grew up and I was still in high school and then naive, very naive. Mm-hmm. And and then college <laughs> at North yeah. Georgia College in Dahlonega. And, of course, that was a military school then. So we didn't talk about the anti-war movement and, and, and all that. Yeah, so I'm like, sure. boy, I missed all that. Gosh, <laughs> that major part of history there. Um, but I've never, until recently, it's never been awkward. Yeah. You know, what do you regards of, of whom you voted for in right. past presidential elections or other elections or your some kinds of core belief it it didn't it didn't cause sparks and fire and mm-hmm. enemies yeah. like it does now and um i i don't know what i wish there were some easy answers yeah. <laughs> uh, i i have to keep going back to um you know um love your neighbor yeah and i think that I've read all kind of analysis about why things happened and people feel so very disenfranchised. And, yeah. Yeah. But I think a lot of it is, is becoming cut off, your, cut off your nose, spite your face kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> but um, I just, I don't, I don't know. I'm really unsettled with it. I did do yeah. the Women's March in Atlanta. I wasn't going to miss that march, thank you. And you talk about such power and unity yeah. there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm always torn between that, and I've had a lot of people that unfriended me on Facebook and don't, we, yeah. you know, that, that mm-hmm. because, and yeah. I, I kind of backed off posting anything political on there because I'm not going to change anybody's mind there. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't, you're not going to change anybody's mind. Yeah. They're going to have to change the their own mind. Yeah. And, but it will not happen until it affects them personally, whether yeah. it's losing uh, insurance or losing their after-school program for their children or, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Yeah. So it, it, until it, it impacts you personally. So, and we have to be careful too and not make it, uh, uh, an anti-intellectualism kind of, you know, separation of class or anything like that either, because, I think you you guys have probably traveled some. You know how great and vast our country is and how beautiful beautiful and amazing and what diversity. Yeah. We've got so much to keep us together. And it might be up to us to be the the searchers and the peacemakers for that too. But I for sure am committed to if you have children... Mm-hmm. You need to expose them to the world. Yeah. You yeah. need to expose them to different books, mm-hmm. uh, to different foods, to travel if you can. But, uh, yeah. you know, that, that'll help for that next generation. Definitely. Maybe the next, a next round of healing if we, if we save yeah. our earth. Yeah. Yeah. How, yeah. I, this may be an on-the-spot question, but, you know, obviously we've talked to politics, so this isn't anything new, but... If you were still teaching now, would your curriculum, would anything about what you teach change under this new administration or under? No. Um, You know, under Common Core, it began to change and you you weren't teaching. The curriculum was set up so you weren't teaching fiction Mm -hmm. as much, but you taught a lot of informational text. Mm -hmm. But some teachers and I had 
and in my particular school at that time had built some units mm. using fiction oh, wow. and nonfiction together. For example, we did um, Gandhi, okay. uh, a biography wow. of Gandhi, and then pulled some other things in. Wow. So you, so that I would continue doing. Wow. My problem would be um, you just you have to keep politics and religion out of the classroom yeah, yeah. because yeah. you. Because what would happen is either of those topics would, because of what the children hear from at home, Mm -hmm. then you would be polarizing yourself from them at times. So that would, you were talking about feeling safe in my room, then they probably wouldn't feel safe. But uh, it would be very, very hard right now, but I'd probably do some back of the door kind of things, making sure we definitely were studying the Holocaust and definitely reading The Giver and, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of stuff to make them think. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but I think yeah. that's, yeah. So I've to a fault. I, I am usually too direct when I talk about it, but I think that nurturing of concern for people who are other and then, uh, that book, I remember a book that kind of, um, Sherman Alexie's the, what is it? The absolutely true diary of a part-time Indian. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, being like a book that just sort of opened this possible world to me of of like no one's exactly what you think they are due to their type mm-hmm. right so a rural person is never exactly as you would think a rural person would be they mm-hmm. have a history they're interesting they're worthwhile an urban dweller is never some like generic snowflake right <laughs> or whatever they call us i don't know yeah. <laughs> no i uh i've been you, called you, plenty of you things. want them city slick or something yeah <laughs> yeah right so like this book is really beautiful because it 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 explored like all the room there is within our types to be real people and to interact wow. with each other uh as a kid and so i think that's part of what's important about reading to me and what you've mentioned for the next generation like when i read with read with my sons he's mostly interested in how trains are feeling but we're trying to <laughs> trying to read little like uh immigrant stories and things mm-hmm. like those too just to get him yeah caring about yeah characters other than himself and i don't know if it's causation like i don't know if you're attracted to literature because you have that bent anyway or if you develop that bent by reading books but uh, i'm not sure yeah um as I said, there were not books in my home growing up or anything, and yeah. education was not stressed. Yeah. But I made sure it. I wanted. Well, what changed me was wanting to be a teacher, and if yeah. I wanted, to, I really, really wanted to be a teacher from the yeah. time oh. I was a little bitty. And to be a teacher, I had to go to school, and so you know there was some there was some motivation there. Yeah. But then having. I have three daughters and then, you know, sharing books with them and reading to them and um, then seven grandchildren and doing the same. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just know how very, very important it is. Yeah. And I want to plug a website called or a Facebook page called Mighty Girls. Mighty Girls. And they are always um, showing books that are appropriate for girls. In particular, but also all kids. But for example, they highlighted uh, the Ruby Bridges story. The story of Ruby Bridges. Mm-hmm. It's a picture book. Okay. 
And uh, it's amazing. I, w- I would read that. I don't know if I read it to your group, Tim, or not, but I would read it every year mm. to one particular grade level and cry every year <laughs> because it was biographical about Ruby Bridges yeah. and uh, her story. But anyway, uh, The uh, Mighty Girls is, is really good wow. to acquaint you to with different books that would be good to instill values. And so wow. it's, good, it's a good resource. That's I'm not great. sure if I ever answered your question exactly. <laughs> We're just having a conversation. Yeah, this yeah. is great. <laughs> well, I would like to, so one thing we do on the show is ask a bonus question. And we improvise the bonus question, and we don't warn our guests what it's going to be. <laughs> you haven't talked about writing, how much you write or what you write yourself. But I'm going to paint, paint a situation here. An agent calls you and says, we heard about the work you're doing in your community. Uh, one of the people who works at our publishing house is was one of your former students, um, and we'd really like you to write a book. Can you come up with a concept and pitch a book? What would your book be? Well, it'd probably be my journey from Appalachia to where I am now, still in Appalachia, but a different yeah. person. Yeah. So wow. uh, That's the only story I know right now. Uh-huh. I have written down some of my daddy's stories from growing up, yeah. So far back in the woods that yeah. they would hide if people came. So, wow. <laughs> but so and, and I write sporadically journaling if something just like if I read one of these blogs and I want to sit down and just respond to it. When I've gone through different traumas in my life, I have written and that's very cathartic, but mm-hmm. it's not anything, you know. Um, I think probably I'm a better encourager than I am a writer. Mm hmm. Yeah. But um, I like words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can remember I read, uh, bought hardback copy and read Cold Mountain. Oh, Do you yeah. know that book? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the language is beautiful. So, by golly, I just had to get my highlighter out. <laughs> oh, I just, it was just, wow, look at that. Look at that. That simile, meta, you know, all those things. And I loaned it to my, I started to loan it to my oldest daughter, and she says, Mom, this is like a college textbook. Yeah. Take it back. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, yeah. I don't. I I think anyone that reads a lot thinks they want to be a writer a bit. And at one time, I might have thought there was a book in me, but yeah. I just don't know if I ha- would have the determination and stamina to do it. Yeah, mm. I'm developing a fear that I might be a better editor or reader than writer. But we'll see. <laughs> but you know, it is cathartic to write for yourself. Yeah. And you talked earlier about some of your life experiences. You know, sometimes it's just good to write those down. Yeah. Which I have to say, Ian has, but just I don't know. Yeah, Sit I would say him. he's a yeah, yeah, pretty. <laughs> but uh, but Ian is a fantastic writer. I really think he should do more. So I'm glad you've said something because maybe that'll help push him. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Well, this has been really great. I've, yeah. Tim, I've enjoyed this glimpse into where little oh, Timmy man. Rhodes became the man of reading and compassion and activism oh, that he is today. I've been great to meet you and Thank you. Uh, Thank and you. see your work honored. I love to see that. It's hard yeah. being a teacher. You, It's like yeah. gardening. You know, you throw the seeds out and you just right. don't know what's going to take root. So I'm, I'm glad you got to hear from Tim yeah. some of the impact that you've had. Me too. Me too. Oh. And good I, stuff. I appreciate the work you're doing. We're glad. I hope, I hope uh, that you have community around you patting you on the back because it's hard work 
but it matters that, that yeah. you're speaking, that you're being gracious, that you're building bridges, reconciling, talk, still talking about the things that matter to you. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Wow. So with oh, that man. said, we also yeah. want to thank Atlanta Vintage Books. Mm-hmm. This is yes. a space where people with all different beliefs, people of all kinds can come and gather, can have conversation, can find books that are meaningful to them um, and resonant with them. Uh, Willine was talking about like, well, I could read if I could find a book about hunting or I could read if I could find a book, whatever it is, you can find it here at Atlanta Vintage Books. Mm -hmm. And if you say, if you come here and shop for a book, whatever you decide to pick out, if you walk up to the counter and say, Tim and Ian sent you, they'll give you a 10% uh, break. So find that book that will really get you going (laughs) with reading or bring your kids here. They have a great children's Mm -hmm. section. Yeah. Um, we also want to mention, for those of you who, uh, like us, are pretty active community-wise, um, there's a radical literature section downstairs that has some great stuff about community organizing, about caring for who's around you, yeah. about different ways uh, to do that and to, to get active and engaged in caring for people who are maybe outside of uh, privilege and outside of that, yeah. the, the benefit of the system. So. Uh, just want to encourage you to stop by and check all that out. Um, what a special episode. Tim, do you want to close Thanks. with a, Absolutely. a yeah. book quote? Totally. Oh, before I do that, yeah. I know it's uh, the same old, same old, but we want to thank you so much for listening. And um, it really means a lot to, to hear from you, uh, whether it's you know after each episode is posted and complimenting or um, just, just any sort of message you send to let us know you're listening. It really means a lot, and we, we're very grateful for it. Yeah. Um, you can uh, uh, go to our website, what are you reading podcast.com. And from there it's, we kind of have all the ways you can subscribe to the podcast. Um, and also all the ways you can connect with us on Facebook or Goodreads or Instagram and just feel free, drop us a line, um, and let us know what you're reading. Uh, just let us give us some feedback on an episode if you want. And, um, also on iTunes rate and review us if you can. Um, it always means a lot for us to, for us to see that we'd really appreciate it. Yeah. And, uh, so thank you again. And I guess we're going to end, uh, with the quote, this one is by Franz Kafka. It's a long one, but it's a good one. <laughs> I think we ought to read only the kinds of books that wound or stab us. If the book we're reading doesn't wake us up with a blow to the head, what are we reading for? So that it will make us happy as you write? Good Lord, we would be happy precisely if we had no books, and the kind of books that make us happy are the kind we could write ourselves if we had to. But we need books that affect us like a disaster, that grieve us deeply, like the death of someone we loved more than ourselves, like being banished into forests far from everyone, like a suicide. A book must be the axe for the frozen sea within us. That is my belief. Thanks for listening.